the 12th uh, that evening. And turn with me, if you would, to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, and I love the book of Nehemiah, how, how challenging it is. Nehemiah was not a man who, when he saw something that needed to be done, uh, just prayed about it. He did pray, that's the first thing he did. But he also had actions to his prayers. And so many times it's easy for us just to uh, shoot up a prayer to heaven and we're praying, oh God, send someone to my neighbor that they can be witness to, that they can receive Christ. When in reality, uh, yes, that's good to pray, but could it be that God is calling me to do that right there and just say, okay, Lord, yes, use me as I go and I obey. But Nehemiah chapter 1, now Nehemiah chapter 2, look at, if you were, that verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 20, just for a moment, because here, um, this, this verse really sets the tone for the entire book of Nehemiah. And it's a great verse. It's a great verse for one reason, because it's very applicable for us today. And listen to this verse. Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. There's that action. There's that determination to do God's will, even in spite of the opposition they were receiving. Now, a problem that, and we all, remember I asked you who had a problem. And, well, everyone has problems from time to time. And praise the Lord. That uh, can be a good thing because a problem really is an opportunity. An opportunity to see God work. An opportunity to have our faith increase. So it's an opportunity in disguise. God wants you to see your problems in that way. As potentials. Not as disasters. And, um, and your, even your adversaries, really, as opportunities. Um, a Christian is one who sees an opportunity in every difficulty. And that's why, what uh, you learn here as you study the book of Nehemiah. Speaking about studying, remember I mentioned this, uh, a great way to study the Bible is asking these three questions. It'll help you understand the Bible. It'll bring the Bible alive to you if you get in the habit of doing this. Uh, number one, what did it mean then? I think that's vital to understanding the Bible and uh, in your study. What did it mean then? Who was writing? Who is he writing to? And what was the situation? And then number two, what does it mean now? <clears throat> now, that's the wonderful thing about the Bible. Yes, it was written thousands of years ago, but all of it is applicable for you and I today. <clears throat> it's a living book. And then number three, what does it mean to me personally? Well, you, you know, when you got, start reading the Bible, ask the Lord, Lord, help me to see what was meant then, what was going on. Help me to understand what it means now, how it can be applied to the church, maybe to my nation, to my family, and then to me personally. And it'll really bring the Bible alive. God wants to speak to all of us through his word. He's not going to, you know, have visions in the night where he comes to us and speaks to us. It's not going to be bright light somewhere or, you know, whatever other you hear some really strange so-called testimonies. But what you and I have is even greater than what we can see, what we can touch, what we can hear and smell. All of our, It's greater than all of our senses, and that is we have the Word of God, God's written Word. So God 
And, and, and knowing what we see in the, in the book of Nehemiah does indeed uh, solidify the fact that God has a plan for each and every one of us. God has a plan for you. Um, and so no matter, you know, we, we are good at complaining, no doubt about it, like most human beings are. And it seems like Americans have made it a fine art of complaining. But, but in reality, we, could, you know, we need to look at these things. How, how can I be used of God in these days? Uh, what does God have? What's his plan for me? If we all would win one person to Christ, we have already are on the road to changing America for God. And so I would encourage, let that be a goal. That at the very least, let's challenge ourselves to target one person and share the gospel with them. You and I, we can't make a person get saved. The only one that can save anyone is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And even he is not going to twist anyone's arm or force them. It's an individual's decision. But we can definitely give them the facts uh, with a, in a spirit of love. But there's three steps. We talked about one last week. If God is going to use us to do great things, if, if, if we're going to be at the place where uh, we'll be able to see God working in a glorious way, then these three things, I believe, have to be in our lives as it was in Nehemiah. Number one, he visualized the problem. He visualized the problem. Look at verses 1 through 3. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, and it came to pass in the month Cheslu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And so here we see that there, the walls of Jerusalem, you know, Nehemiah has asked these men that were coming back from Jerusalem how everything fares there, how was Jerusalem, how was the people of God, and it wasn't a very good picture. But Nehemiah is now able to visualize this need. Now sometimes, uh, and, and I, I hope we, none of us are guilty of this, it's kind of like burying our head in the sand, there are people all around us in need. Uh, there are walls that have literally, uh, that are being torn down in America. And uh, we need to arise and with God's help, rebuild those walls. Um, let, let's not have a defeated attitude to where, well, okay, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm only one person. When, you're, when God is with you, you're in the majority. And there is no power greater than he. So when here, there, there are many symbolic walls that have fallen around us, and what that means to us today is that, like Nehemiah, we should visualize those walls, the needs of America, the needs of the family, and even our individual needs. And, uh, but see those walls that have fallen to the ground. They're in disarray. Number one, we talked about the walls of national security have fallen. Uh, America is in danger. I don't think I need to belabor that thought here tonight. Uh, you know, uh, with the um, homosexuality and the perversions, even beyond that, the transgender and all this, uh, I don't hate those people. They need the Lord. 
but this has perverted the thinking and the, even the education of America. And uh, abortion is another issue. Uh, our southern borders wide open. We have very weak leadership. Definitely not, not any or not many spiritual leaders as far as our leaders of our country. And we've seen, <coughs> excuse me, we've seen the collapse of morals, the uh, <coughs> disintegration of the home, and a crime rate that's just shot sky high. <coughs> and what a, uh, one of the bloodiest times that I can remember, Chicago, it seems like 64 people are shot and there's a, it's like another weekend in Chicago. And they don't look at it as a, that big of a deal. But we've, we've seen all these things happen where criminals seem to be rewarded and police officers are punished. And this is the harvest <coughs> that we've reaped. Why? Because we've forgotten God. As a nation, we have forgotten God. And what we need in America more than anything else is a sweeping revival, a heaven-sent revival, where people get, are getting right with him. It's one thing to look at the lost, and they're going to behave like lost people. But it's the believers, it's God's people that are responsible, really. It's God's people that have failed, and uh, uh, it's all up to us to get uh, back to where we need to be. Then we talked about the domestic walls that have fallen. The American home today is a disaster area, uh, far worse than, uh, you know, we drove through uh, Kentucky, and we were, I can't remember exactly where, but I, I noticed right away the destruction, all the trees wiped out and homes demolished just right there by the interstate, and we didn't even see the worst of it. But we've all seen things like that. We've seen the pictures those disaster areas, but far worse than that is the disaster area in America of the home. The homes have been destroyed, have been attacked, and <clears throat> so um, those walls have fallen. Never has more um, uh, been, been done to attack or to bring down the family than what's been happening today. It, it is a disaster area. There is a militant war against the family, um, a mother, a father, and children. And they don't like that definition of a family. They've redefined family. Then there's the decency walls that have fallen. There's never been more perversions and that have been made available uh, that are at the fingertips of, of our children, of everybody. Pornography on the internet has become like a broken sewer line in many homes in America. And we have as Americans, it seems like we have ceased to be shocked anymore. And what used to amaze us just simply amuses us now. And what was horrible yesterday has become acceptable today. And then we talked about the doctrinal walls that have fallen. You think about it. I, I really don't. I was going to look this up and I forgot how many churches are in America. I would have no idea. There's a lot. I remember when I was in Bible college in Chattanooga, Tennessee, there were over 150 uh, just independent Baptist churches in Chattanooga area. That was just the Baptist churches. That, and that, that oh, I mean, that was independent. Uh, so I have no idea how many churches are in America. But can you imagine, let's just say, with every church in America, if they were teaching this book, if they were preaching the word of God, if they were fulfilling the Great Commission, 
if they were uh, seeking the face of God, America would definitely be changed. But when you have churches who, because of a person's standing or their position in their high-ranking politician or whatever officer, political party in that area, uh, they overlook their sin. Uh, they will just kind of wink at their sin, never touch upon, uh, never uh, uh, talk about hell, never talk about... Uh, what I'm saying is the walls of doctrine have been torn down. And, and uh, there's... I, I, I'm convinced that if just the Bible-believing churches of America, if they would get on fire for God and preach and, and stand in the pulpits and say, thus saith the Lord. Not, well, this is what our, our, uh, our conference has decided we, where we're going to stand on this issue, and this is what uh, is more acceptable in our community. No, no. Thus saith the Lord. That would solve a lot of problems. But these walls have fallen. Folks, it is our responsibility to do our best to build those walls. You can't do, you can't help what your neighbor may be doing, but you can make sure. For instance, the Ten Commandments, yes, they've taken it out of all courthouses and schools and the Bible out, but they have not and they cannot take it out of our homes. So how many Christians are really dedicating to dedicating their family to teach their family the Word of God, to uh, build up those doctrinal walls there. Uh, it does. Doesn't it bother you to see so many young people go off to universities and come back and hating America, hating God, and, and just, uh, uh, just, you know, so liberal in their thinking? It, now, look, I don't care if they're 10 years old. They can be ground in the Word. And... Daniel was just a young boy when he purposed in his heart. Daniel was not a supernatural being. He was a man. He, just like any of us, it was his God that made uh, him a great man. And the same thing can happen today. Well, anyway, let's get to this last point. No, not last point for tonight. Because there's another thing we want to look at. But um, not only did he visualize the problem, look at verse 4, and it came to pass when I heard these words, that I sat down and what? He wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Here I see he agonized. So he visualized the problem and he agonized over this problem. And I see in verse 4 a prayer of contrition. I mean, his heart was broken. His heart was burdened for the people, his people. And it was a prayer of contrition. It was a prayer where Nehemiah wept and wept openly and uh, uh, just tears o over the condition as it was. I think that's one of the problems. One of the things that's wrong with our society today. Society has forgotten how to blush. Oh, that's so, so true. It seems like we are re rewarding and applauding some of the worst perversions that I've ever heard of. And uh, they've forgotten how to blush. But here's another problem in that kind of hand in hand. The church has forgotten how to weep. Um, no longer do we weep. When was the last time 
you spent a night in prayer? When was the last time you fasted and prayed? When was the last time you shed a tear over some soul that was mortgaged to the devil? Some soul that was lost and, and undone. Oh, look, it's easy. We get our feelings hurt and we get mad at individuals and, and um, uh, we, we think, well, boy, you know, I'm, I'm so angry at that person for what they did. And it's almost to the point where we're uh, like uh, uh, some of the disciples. Lord, just send down fire and destroy them. You may not verbally say that, but um, look, we need to be burdened for those people as Nehemiah was burdened for his people. And, and we, uh, listen, we pray without crying. We give without sacrifice. And we live without, without fasting. And there lies a problem in our, really, dedication to the Lord. Is it any wonder that we um, are reaping things that we have sown? Weeping, fasting, praying, seeking the face of God. These things really have become a lost art. And it's things that we don't really like to talk about. It seems like it's kind of strange. It ought not be. There's no way that America will come back to God until God's people began to pray and pray a prayer of contrition, as did Nehemiah, a prayer of brokenness, a prayer of burden uh, for the people. One preacher, he preached a sermon entitled, A Dry-Eyed Church in a Hell-Bent World. Well, I think that's where we are. Not only was his prayer a prayer of contrition, it was also a prayer of confession. Notice the confession in this prayer. It was a it was national and it was a personal uh, a confession. He said, Israel has sinned and I have sinned. He, he includes himself here. And, and I tell you, folks, we, we must pray for our communities. We need to pray for Pena. We need to pray for Tower Hill and Shelbyville and, and Assumption, Hinton, Westerveld, um, and all those other little towns around us. We need to pray for those towns, those communities, those farms and people. That's who I'm talking about, the people in these communities. We need to pray for them. And, and uh, uh, we, but we see this prayer, you know, not only our communities, but we need to pray for our state. And don't stop there. Pray for our nation. And we must nationally repent. Uh, but that is no good unless we start as an individual, and we individually repent. Uh, I, I think that's what was happening after 9-11. It seemed like there was a great move towards God, and uh, they were praying right on the courthouse steps and or the uh, Capitol building, and they were, uh, uh, you know, there were more people just speaking about God. But it was more of a, a, a move, an emotional move in, in the nation but there was not individual repentance. And, and that's what's, what was missing. And so uh, I ask you today, believer, uh, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, have you repented lately? You say, well, pastor, I'm saved. I don't need to repent. You know better than that. We all need to repent. There's always sins in our lives that we need to repent of. Or there's always a, a coldness or an indifference in our life that needs to be repented of. And don't, don't just sit and weep and mourn. <clears throat> As, now, Nehemiah did that, 
and, but, but he did more. Don't just weep and mourn and bow your head and say, oh, you feel so bad and, and, uh, and you want to see America turn back to God. But what about you as an individual? If you don't repent, you'll never be a part of the solution, but you'll be a part of the problem. And we must repent. And it's, it's, again, it's not enough just to weep big crocodile tears. Um, boy, some of those TV evangelists have that down to a fine art, don't they? Uh, they can, boy, start weeping at a moment. And I'm not saying that all of them are not sincere. I don't know them. But I know some that were not sincere at all because of what was discovered. And so it's, but that's not enough just to have those crocodile tears. Nehemiah prayed a prayer of contrition, a prayer of confession. I also want you to see that he prayed a prayer of confidence. In verses 8 through 10 here, um, it says there, Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad from the nation, among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them through though there, there were of you cast out a, uh, unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy great hand. And so did you notice what he's doing here? He's saying, God, you remember what you said? God, you remember what your word says? Do you remember how those promises you made in your word? And basically what he's saying here, and even I said, I'm going to hold you to it, God. I'm holding you to your promises. And God doesn't mind that because God doesn't make empty promises. When we pray and we use the promises of his word, boy, you can be confident that your prayers are going to be answered because this is what God wants. And that's great, a great thing. You see, that's what real prayer is all about. Real prayer is not just letting your mind wander and try to think up some things. Oh, well, what do I need to pray for? And, and uh, you, you're praying for this and that. And, and, uh, or you're adding to your wish list. <clears throat> and, with it, and you bring your, your list, your little shopping list before the Lord. And say, here's what I want, God. Bing, 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 bing. And, uh, but that's not real prayer. Uh, there's a time, there's a place for that. But uh, real prayer is rooted in a rock-ribbed promises of the word of God and uh, it, it's finding a promise in the word of God and standing on that promise that's when we can be confident in our prayers <clears throat> God says in Isaiah 45 11 concerning the work of my hands command and Nehemiah did just that uh, he aud aud audacious father I'm praying this prayer. It's a prayer of confidence. I am confident. I am believing you, God, because promise this. And because you promised, Lord, I am going to hold you to your word. And that's, that's faith. And that's confidence. That's the kind of prayer you and I can offer up as well. Um, now, listen. We serve a great God, don't we? Amen. Let me, let me try that again. We serve a great God, don't we? Amen. Yeah, I just want to get you, make sure you're awake out there. Don't want you to fall asleep like someone else this morning. And, uh, oh, but nonetheless, uh, uh, we serve a great God. Someone has well said this, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. 
You find a promise in the Word of God, and that means it's something God wants to do. If he made this promise, again, it's not empty words. This is what he wants for us, for our, our nation, for our world. And you find that, and you didn't stand on that. Prayer, um, pray big prayers, I guess I, I should say it with that in mind. Uh, John Newton wrote this, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Amen. And so he prays this prayer of confidence. And I want you to notice one thing here also. He, uh, he prays a prayer of commitment in verse 11. Look with me there. Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. And prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Now, Nehemiah, this guy, you know, he had a very important job. He was the king's cupbearer. Uh, here was a unbelievable, I mean, the king was wealthy and lived a lavish lifestyle, and yet his cupbearer was a man that was trusted by the king. His cupbearer was there to protect the king and would come in with his wine and his food and, and make sure everything was safe. And, and he is, uh, every day he was right there beside the king, uh, close to the king. He could touch the king. This was a job also that was well paid. I mean, Nehemiah had it good. He was a Jew, misplaced here from his homeland, but he made the best of it. He was doing well financially. Doing, had a great position. This was a job that, a very high elevated job because it was a job that the king had to trust you and you were in a position of honor and trust. And you were with the king in his most intimate and uh, most vulnerable times as well. And so here was Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer. And he had a job, of, a luxurious job. He was so far removed from all this poverty he could have said, well, you know, that's not my problem. I, I've got it nice here. I've, I, I don't want to rock the boat. Don't want to mess anything that I've got going here. But that wasn't Nehemiah. Uh, he was removed from the poverty. He was removed from the, from the destruction and degradation and the fallen, crumbling walls. And here he, he was in his little place of security and his comfort zone, you could say, uh, his own little warm nest. And, but Nehemiah wasn't satisfied there. It wasn't that he wanted more material things. He saw and he visualized the problem in Jerusalem with the people and with the, with the city, and he was burdened. And, and he uh, could not uh, just sit back anymore. He agonized over this, this problem. And uh, uh, he, he was not content with staying where he was. He said, I need to do something. I need to step out of my comfort. I need to step out of my, my uh, luxury lifestyle, luxurious lifestyle, and uh, follow what God wants me to do. Uh, God had burdened him. You ever feel that way? Has God ever burdened you to do something? And when he saw the condition of the fallen walls, he said, by the grace of God, I am going to get involved. When was the last time you, you said, God, 
so burdened. I need to get involved in this. I need to do something. I can't just sit back and just pray. Look, prayer is powerful. Prayer is, is very important. But that's not where God wants us to stop. God wants us to do. And, uh, but he says, Lord, I'm starting to do something here. Lord, I, I, I feel a fire burning in my soul I cannot put out. And, and I, I feel something welling up in me. God, you're calling me now. And I want to go. I want to answer. And he asked God, God, please prosper me. And Lord, prosper me in what I'm about to do because I'm about to go out of my comfort zone, out of my warm nest. I'm about to get committed. And this is the prayer of commitment here. Now, let me tell you something. It's not enough for you to pray the prayer of contrition and confession and the prayer of confidence unless you're willing to pray this prayer here of commitment. Oh, I think this is where a lot of Christians lack. Uh, they can pray the prayers, but they're not committed. They're not willing to do like the Good Samaritan, get off their beast and go down there where the man was wounded and, and patch up his wounds and take care of his needs. Prayer is not a smoke screen and where you could hide your lack of commitment. Sometimes we do that even in our giving. Say, well, I'll give to the mission um, need and, and that'll suffice and that'll... Uh, uh, get me off the hook, so to speak. No, God still uh, wants us to be involved and committed to his work wherever we are. Do you think we're going to be able to do what God has called us to do, to do what we know he is leading us to do if um, we don't do anything but pray? There's a time that we have to get up off of our knees and say, okay, Lord, now I understand. Now I know what you want me to do and then do it. And uh, so you can't do more than pray, though, until you've prayed. So uh, the problem is so many are lacking in their prayer life completely. Uh, but you should do more than pray after you've prayed. You should be committed to the work of God. It, it will take, and by the way, that's what's wonderful about the local church. All of us working together as a family, as a body. And uh, so we, we, it'll take all of us working together. There's no, uh, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifices, uh, equal commitments. Uh, not everyone has the same talents and, and gifts from the Lord, but we can all be found faithful. We can all be committed to the work. But um, your nest, you know, some people are still worried about their little comfort zone, their little warm nest. And if you're not willing to step out of that, you can find that that nest is going to be gone. You're going to lose it. And it's so important that uh, that's not the main thing. Our, our jobs and those things are very important, but it's not the main thing. Don't ever get to the place where you're thinking, well, I can't, couldn't survive. I wouldn't, I'm, you know, if I lost that job, so therefore I'll have to do whatever has to be done to keep that job. I'm all for keeping the job but uh, when it there's a conflict between what God wants you to do in that job jo uh, God is always uh, rules over that uh, he is the one who takes care of us he is the one who provided that job he is the one who uh, gives us the health that we need and so it's time that we get committed many of you may remember the name Flip Wilson he was a crazed comedian um, and he said this uh, somebody 
He said, somebody asked me what my religion was, and I told him I was a Jehovah's bystander. And he said, what? Uh, he said, well, yeah, that, that I, I, wanted to, I wanted to be a Jehovah's witness, but I didn't want to get involved. And, boy, that sounds like a lot of Christians. Yeah, I want to be a member, I want to be a Christian, but I don't really want to get involved. Uh, I, I've, I've seen this uh, uh, a long time. But I, I know a lot of folks who are just like this. They're Jehovah bystanders. And uh, they're wanting to uh, just watch. They're wanting, wanting to, um, they're not wanting to get involved. They don't want to get involved. They don't want to get committed. But, but here was a prayer by a man named Nehemiah, a prayer of commitment. He wasn't just praying for someone else to do the job. He said, Lord, here am I, like Isaiah, send me. Now, we're not to tolerate godless philosophies that are taking our country apart a stone at a time. We are not to sit idly by as they tell us that we need to accept every perversion and every uh, unbelievable wickedness in our nation and in our world uh, if we are going to be woke or whatever terminology they want to use. Uh, we need to take a stand. We need to have convictions. Yes, that means we will not be popular. That means people may get upset. But let them not get upset at us because of our anger or our, um, you know, our words that we use. But let them, if they get upset, let them get upset with God, what God has said in his word. Let's speak the truth in love. The walls have fallen. It's time we open our eyes and see, visualize the need in America. And the thing that, that motivated, the thing that moved Nehemiah so long ago was that he was able to visualize it. He saw the situation as it was. And then as a result of that, being able to visualize it, he agonized over this. He had a burden uh, uh, for the condition of Jerusalem. He prayed a prayer of contrition and confession. He prayed a prayer of, uh, of, of uh, confession and, and a, of confidence, which led to this prayer of commitment. And I pray that all of us, you know, as we look toward this new year, that we would do something to, to uh, uh, help those around us, not just with the physical need. That's good. It's good that we can do that. But the real need of Jesus Christ. And so may we find our place along the wall, alongside of, of like Nehemiah and the people there in Jerusalem who all work together. May we do that as a church working together to reach souls for Christ. The hand of our God, they said, is upon us, Nehemiah. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. The hand of our God is upon us tonight. Let us arise and build. Oh, but, you know, there's a lot of opposition. There's things that are not like they used to. That's true. But we need to arise and build. Let's be willing to get out of that comfort zone. And, and, and we, uh, may we also see that problems... They really are opportunities. They really are a, a possibility for us to be used of God to speak. And again, my mind goes back to uh, Brother Eddie Ray there in China. No one would want to go through what he went through. But only God knows the impact that, that had on the lives of each individual from place to place that he went. And uh, so it's, it's exciting. You, we need to view things. That's how the Apostle Paul viewed it. He gets thrown in jail and says, well, praise the Lord, I have an opportunity to witness to people every day. And he did just that. Let's be used of God in such a way. Father, I